Well, this morning, how many of you love the Word of God? Anybody love God's Word? Come on, somebody. I love the Word of God, and this morning, we're going to jump into God's Word here in just a minute, and we're going to begin a brand new series today entitled Kingdom Culture. Kingdom culture. So look at that first point, and let me just give you a little definition of what the Holy Spirit kind of put in my heart. What is a kingdom culture? It is a culture defined by the kingdom of God. It is a culture that says we are who God says we are, we have what God says we have, and we can do what God says we can do. A kingdom culture is a language, values, beliefs, and standards that align with God and His kingdom. If you were to Google the definition of what a culture is, you'll find that little definition. A culture defined by our standards in the world is a language, it's a values, it's a belief, and it is a standard by which people align themselves together. And we live in a world today, right, where there are a lot of different cultures. We've got a woke culture in our world that is really in opposition of everything that we believe and know to be true as Christians. And there are all kind of cultural ideas that permeate our society and the world that we're living in. And so over the next few weeks, actually for the next two months, June and July, we're going to let this be our summer series. I really feel like the Lord said, I want you to drill down in the idea of of what does it mean for us as a church to really create a kingdom culture? What does it mean? What is the language of the kingdom of God? What are the values of God's kingdom? What is the beliefs that make up the kingdom of God? And what are the standards of God's kingdom that should define our lives? And here's what's amazing. Not only does a kingdom culture unite us, but it unites us with the Father. It connects us and brings us into a place of alignment with the very heart of God, the very will of God, so that God's kingdom can come in our lives and in the earth. Now, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul does an amazing job of defining some kingdom culture ideas. And we're going to look at those. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 15. The Apostle Paul says this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you and praying for you constantly. And I want you to grab hold of something. He just defines something critical about the Ephesian church. He says, number one, you're strong in your faith. And number two, God's love for all people burns and flows in your heart and in your life. And so he identifies the fact that here's a group of Christians that have a strong faith in God and the love of God not only lives in them, but the love of God compels them to reach out into a broken, hurting world. And so Paul says, I want you to know, since I've heard of your faith and your love, that I have continued to thank God for you, and that I've continually prayed for you. Now, what I want you to see, this is important. I want you to see how Paul prays for this church that is strong in the faith and has the love of God in their heart toward other people. These are amazing people. They have a strong faith and evangelistic flair. They have a strong faith and a heart for people to come to Christ. And look how Paul prays for them in that next verse, verse 17. He says, I'm asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light 
so that you can understand the confident hope we, he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So, so I want you to catch something. Paul says, here you are strong in your faith and filled with the love of God. And I'm praying for you. And this is how I'm praying. He says, I'm praying that God will give you spiritual wisdom and understanding and insight so that you might continue to grow in your knowledge and understanding of Jesus. And I'm praying that your hearts will be so flooded with the light of Christ that your life will begin to pierce the darkness of this world. So I want you to catch something. A kingdom culture is a culture of growth and maturity. A kingdom culture is a, a culture of growth and maturity where Paul says you're strong in the faith and you're filled with the love of God. And that's wonderful and that's awesome, but don't stop there. Don't stop there. Don't stop with a strong faith. Don't stop with just a love for God and a love for people. I want you to continue to grow. I'm praying God gives you wisdom and insight. I'm praying God floods your heart with the light of Christ so you continue to abound and grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ. Why? Because a kingdom culture is a culture of growth. It's a culture that moves by the illumination and revelation of what God is saying and what God is doing in our lives. See, I believe the best picture of a Christian life should be like we're climbing a mountain. I think that's a beautiful picture of what Christianity looks like. Christianity should look like us climbing this mountain. Let me tell you what it shouldn't look like. It shouldn't look like a roller coaster. We have way too many roller coaster Christians. I'm committed to God. I'm not committed. I'm dedicated. I'm not dedicated. I'm faithful. I'm not faithful. I'm dependable. I'm not dependable. I'm generous. I'm not generous. I'm kind. I'm not really kind. I'm committed. I'm not that committed. I am doing what God's called me to do. I'm not sure if God even cares about me anymore. And we have way too many roller coaster Christians who are living an emotional life and not a kingdom life. So I believe living a life of Christianity is like we're ascending the mountain of God. And that when you get born again in Christ, God sets you at the beginning of that mountain. See, the word kingdom means the king's domain. The kingdom of God is where God rules and where God reigns. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said to those who would believe in him, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. God has given us a kingdom. In John chapter 3, y'all remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus, Jesus said, you must be born again. And you know what he says to Nicodemus? You must be born again. Because unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So you know what happens when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? The Bible says they get born again. And the moment you get born again, guess what happens? You enter the kingdom of God. It's like God supernaturally transplants you and puts you at the foot of this amazing mountain called the mountain of God where your journey in Christ now begins. And you have been established. You've entered into the kingdom. And now through that born again experience, having Jesus as Lord of your life, now you can see the kingdom of God. How many of you remember that when you got saved, all of a sudden you started seeing things that you had never seen before? I mean, let's just be honest. Things that you used to think was awesome, you now realize are horrible. Things that you used to celebrate, now you grieve about. 
And all of a sudden, you begin to see things you've never seen. You begin to perceive things you had never perceived. Why? Because the moment you got born again, you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness, Colossians chapter 1, into the kingdom of God's dear son, Jesus Christ. And you were placed at the the foot of that amazing mountain. And God is now inviting us to come up higher, come up higher, come up higher. And let me tell you how the kingdom works. This is how it works. Every time I get into a new place of intimacy with God, I am there, I am then positioned to take another step to go higher in what God has for me. And so we're called into the kingdom. We're called to ascend this mountain. We're called to a growing relationship with God. If we're not careful, we'll have a religious culture instead of a kingdom culture. Let me tell you what a religious culture says. A religious culture says, we've never done that before. Well, we've never done that before. A religious culture defines our future by our past. Let me tell you a prayer. I pray for Liberty Church all the time. Here's my prayer. God, help us to do what we've never done. Help us to go where we've never gone. Help us to reach who we've never reached. That's the kingdom. And if you're living in a place of stagnant complacency where you're just doing what you've always done because that's what you've always done. Let me tell you, let me, let me rephrase it like this. One of the biggest challenges, especially we're a Celebrate Recovery Church and we love seeing people get saved, set free, and made whole. Can I get an amen from somebody? And one of the biggest challenges that happens, if you come out of addiction and you come out of where you're broke, busted, and disgusted, you've lost your house, you've lost your car, you've lost your family, you've lost your dignity. And you get born again and you get saved and God starts putting your life back together. Here's one of the biggest challenges that happens in people coming out of addiction. They, they begin to see their life be put back together and they get to a place where their family's back, their finances are back, and their joy and their peace is back. And now I'm comfortable. And I really like this. And this feels very comfortable and this feels very good. And I think I'm just going to hang out here. And what happens, not just people coming out of addictions, but Christians of every walk of life, we get comfortable and complacent in our Christianity. And we settle with what we know instead of having a kingdom culture that says, I have to grow. A kingdom culture says there's more revelation, there's more knowledge, there's more insight, there's more grace, there's more power, there's more. More that God wants to do in you and more that God wants to do through you than you ever imagined possible. And I cannot grow complacent. I cannot get to that place where I stop climbing the mountain. Some friends of ours, her name, uh, Rose Foz, is good friends of ours, and Brother Curtis and Diane, and, and uh Years ago, Miss Rose went on a little hiking trip. They were climbing this mountain, hiking up this mountain. And, and about three-quarters of the way up to the peak of this mountain, there was a lodge that had been built. And she shared the story with us how that they were climbing up this mountain, and they got to that lodge, and they went in the lodge, and there was a nice restaurant in there, and there was a big fireplace there, and, and it overlooked the, the, the mountain that they had just climbed. And she said, we ate a nice meal, and we were kicked back in the chairs watching the fire, looking out the windows at this beautiful view that we had seen, drinking our coffee. She said, it was beautiful. She said, and one of the people that worked at the lodge came up to us, and we were talking to them, and, and the lady at the lodge told them this. She said, do you realize... That most people never leave the lodge. They never finish the climb. 
The lady that was taking care of him, she said, most people, once they get in here, they get a full belly. They get a nice cup of coffee. They kick back in the easy chair. They're watching the fireplace, looking out the view. She said, most of them never finish the next four and five mile climb to the peak of the mountain. Most of them hang out in the lodge, and then they descend the mountain. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of that just this morning. How many Christians have settled at the lodge? How many Christians have gotten comfortable and complacent, and we enjoy the view, and we enjoy the food, and we enjoy the company, and we enjoy it, and it's nice, and it's comfortable. Let me just tell you today, God is more interested in his kingdom than he is your comfort. And a kingdom culture is a culture that says, when I get comfortable, I better get uncomfortable. The moment you get comfortable, you stop growing, you stop maturing, you stop stretching. For the last three weeks, I have been doing everything I can with the wonderful help of my wonderful wife to hold the reins on not doing too much exercise. And she's helped me a lot. And it's driving me crazy. Because I want to do something. I feel good. Somebody told me this morning my color looked good. I'm like, praise God, I'm looking good. <laughs> I want to do something. And you know what? I believe that's a kingdom in time. Now, I've got to wait on the doctor. And I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to listen to my wife. I'm going to follow the doctor's orders. i got three more weeks. And then Katie bar the door. Come on, Jesus. And I'm going to listen to my wife. Let me just go back and say that again. <laughs> But that's a kingdom culture. A kingdom mentality is a mentality that says, you know what? I've got to keep growing. I've got to keep reaching. See, the culture of this world says I put more, more value on a dollar than I do on a soul. See, what's crazy is people will stretch themselves to make more money, but they won't stretch themselves to win one soul. Think about that. Think about how the price we'll pay, the overtime we'll put in, the hours we will spend, the effort we will exert to make another dollar. But when it comes to reaching people for Christ, well, that, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I just don't have time. That's just too hard. I'm not comfortable with that. Pastor Keith, don't you know that's your job? No, 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 no. That's our job. And so all of a sudden we recognize something. We recognize that Paul is calling us into this kingdom of growth, into a kingdom mentality that says, hey, hey, you're strong in your faith and you've got a love for God and a love for people. That's awesome, wonderful. Let me applaud you. But don't stop. Don't sell at the lodge. Keep climbing the mountain. Rose told us whenever that person was talking to him, she said, you know what we did? She said immediately we put down our coffee. And she said, all right, everybody, let's go, let's go, let's go. We put our backpacks on. We went out the lodge. She said we spent the next couple hours climbing that four or five miles up to the peak of the mountain. And she said when we got there, she said the view from the lodge was amazing, but it never compared to the view from the top of the mountain. How many know God's calling us higher? And if you've settled and if you've grown complacent and you've grown comfortable and you're not being stretched, you need to get out of the lodge. You need to get back on the trail. And you need to start climbing the mountain. Because if it's not hurting a little, you're probably not growing. That's good preaching, Pastor Keith. Thank you, guys. Amen. He goes on in verse 19, listen to what he says. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. 
This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. He said, not only do you need to get a revelation and an illumination of the wisdom and purpose and plan of God, not only do you need to get a heart of growth and maturity to continue to grow in Christ, he said, but you need to get an understanding of the greatness of God's power. You not only need to walk in a new revelation, you need to walk in a greater power. A greater power that from glory to glory and from faith to faith we're growing and becoming. Man, I want to do more. I want to see more. Right? I want to see more of the power of God. I want to read the book of Acts and look at my life in Liberty Church and say, hey, that's us. That's who we are. We're a New Testament church. We're a kingdom church. We're the kind of church that wins souls, make disciples, and destroy the works of the devil. We're the kind of church where the sick are healed and the dead are raised and those who are oppressed are set free. We're that kind of church. Pastor Keith, that sounds crazy. Welcome to the kingdom. It is crazy. It's crazy to the natural man, but it's perfectly in alignment with the Spirit of God. Jesus, the ultimate example. Jesus, the perfect example. Jesus, the model of who we are supposed to be in Christianity. Live that kind of life. Amen. He goes on and he says, he says, the same spirit, same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in, in, in a place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things. What's that last phrase say? For the what? Benefit of the Jesus did all that for the benefit of the church. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave for the benefit of the church. Jesus rose again for the benefit of the church. He suffered, bore the punishment and penalty of our sin for the benefit of the church. He conquered death, hell, and the grave for the benefit of the church. He sent the empowering Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead, to dwell in us for the benefit of the church. Why? Not so we could get by, but so we could take dominion over the darkness of this world. We're not trying to get along and go along. We're trying to take dominion over the darkness. We're trying to take back this world for the glory and honor of God. The idea that many Christians have, I'm just going to hang on and hold on until Jesus comes back. That's not the church Jesus describes. The Bible says he's coming back for a glorious church. A glorious church without spot and without blemish. He's not coming back for a defeated church with I'm just going to hold on till Jesus gets here mentality. He's coming back for a church that's taken dominion and taken authority and taken power of the darkness of this world, rescuing those who are doomed and headed to hell and piercing the darkness with the light of Christ. That's the church he's coming for. And that's who we're called to be. That's who we're called to be, a kingdom culture. Let me tell you something. A church with a kingdom culture has the power to transform a world that is bound by the kingdoms of this world. A church that embraces a kingdom culture has the power to transform a world that is bound by the kingdoms of this world. See, most of us didn't realize it yesterday when we went to Warehouse Groceries, when our Holy Pond campus set up there in Holy Pond, what we were doing is we were taking the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God where the poor are ministered to, where the hurting are ministered to, where the lonely and the discouraged are encouraged, where people are loved and strengthened and established and cared for and ministered to. That's the kingdom.
And what we were doing yesterday and what we're going to do with 353 kids is we're going to take dominion over the darkness. That's 353 kids I'm just going to declare aren't going to hell. 353 kids that aren't going to grow up and turn their backs on God. 353 kids that aren't going to live in rebellion and shame. 353 kids that are not going to be blinded by the deception and darkness of this world. 353 kids that Liberty Church is going to be praying for, interceding for, warring for, and fighting for that are going to come up and walk in God's purpose. Hey, we can change the world with 353 radical born-again believing kids. Amen. They're not near as intimidated as we are. They don't know enough to be afraid. And God's calling us. And yesterday we took the kingdom. And every time you go to work, you take the kingdom. And every time you go home, you take the kingdom. Look at that next point. A kingdom culture creates an atmosphere where the presence and power of God is manifested on the earth. It creates an atmosphere where the presence and power of God is manifested on the earth. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent, which literally means change the way you think and believe or come into agreement with the gospel. A kingdom culture creates an atmosphere where the presence and power of God is manifested. Mark chapter 1 verse 14 and 15. The Bible says, now after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What was he preaching? The gospel of the kingdom. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And look what he said. He said, the time is fulfilled. Now is the time. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. We're not waiting until heaven comes. How many of you know? How many of you know Jesus did not die just so we could go to heaven? He died so heaven could come to earth. So you don't get that. Let me tell you why you don't get that. We don't even know what Jesus prayed. Do you remember how he taught the disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then what did he say? Your kingdom come and your will be done on as it is in heaven. Jesus didn't die just so you could go to heaven. Jesus died so heaven could come to earth. See, the kingdom of God creates an atmosphere where the presence and the power of God is manifested in the earth. Where families are changed, and generations are changed, and hearts are changed, and lives are changed, and communities are changed, churches are changed, and all of a sudden nations are changed by the power and the glory of God. It is His kingdom, His reign, and His rule on the earth through the hearts and lives of believers. That's the power of the kingdom. And Jesus said, this is how we enter the kingdom, and this is how we advance in the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, so repent. Change the way you think. It's a change of thought that produces a change of direction. But how many of you know you can have behavioral modification? We call it prison. Right? We can have behavioral modification without heart transformation. Pastor Rick told me years ago, he said, when I was in prison, I was just figuring out smarter ways to do what I did before I got in prison without getting caught. But in prison, he was a model citizen until he got out because he had behavior modification. He didn't have heart transformation. 
See, we can, we can be restrained on the outside and not transformed on the inside. External restraint is religion. Religion is rules and regulations that say act like this and do this and we put you in this mold and we just keep condemning you and judging you until you live the life we want you to live. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not rules and regulations that conform you, that, 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 that conform you from the outside. It is, it is the spirit and truth that transforms you from the inside. And all of a sudden you get a brand new heart. So Jesus said you got to repent. You got to change the way you think. You got to renew your mind. Be transformed, Romans 12, 2, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. We got to change the way we think. Repentance, hear me today. Repentance begins at salvation, but it doesn't stop there. Salvation is the open door to the mountain of God that invites you into a lifestyle of repentance and believing. I got to repent, change the way I think, and I've got to believe, agree with God. I got to change the way I think, and I got to agree with God. I got to change the way I think, and I've got to agree with God. I got to recognize anything that I believe, we call them ungodly beliefs. Anything I believe that contradicts the word, the nature, and the character of God is sin. It is a lie. It is a deception. It is a tool and a strategy of Satan to destroy my life. I've got to repent. I've got to acknowledge that is sin. That is wrong. I'm thinking wrong, and if I think wrong, I'll act wrong, and if I act wrong I'll live wrong and if I live wrong my life will produce the wrong kind of fruit that will ultimately take me away from God but if I repent change the way I think and believe the gospel the good news about the kingdom of God that I am who God says I am I have what God says I have and I can do what God says I can do because Jesus is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that he should repent and all of a sudden every time that happens when I got born again I got I got entered into the kingdom and all of a sudden, I got set at the, 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 the foot of the mountain of God. And then God says, come up higher, come up higher, come up higher. It's the kingdom, come up higher. And the way I ascend the mountain of God is I repent and believe. I repent and believe. And every time I recognize, because again, when you enter the kingdom, you see things you never saw. And you know what's crazy? I mean, it's crazy. The last three weeks, I had my heart attack. Three weeks ago, I had a heart attack. Not my heart attack. It's the devil's heart attack. It ain't mine. I had a heart attack three weeks ago. And in that last three weeks... I have been amazed at how much stuff I've repented of. I've been amazed at how much stuff I've repented of. And none of it would ever be considered by most people to even be any, any form of sin. But ideas and thoughts and philosophies. Areas where I just moved a little bit away from the fullness of the truth. So here's the whole truth. And instead of being all the way over here, I just kind of backed up a little bit. Didn't deny the truth. I just digressed a little bit. I began to settle on the vision. Oh, Lord, I know you said years ago, 25 years ago, God said, I want you to build North Alabama's greatest church. And the last couple years after the pandemic, I, I just, I kind of, I didn't realize it, but I kind of somehow settled that we're going to build a good church. You have a lot of people speak out of discouragement, and they're like, well, Pastor Keith, you know, I don't know, that's a lot. You're asking us to do a lot. That seems like a lot. I'm not sure if we can do all that. And maybe we'll just strengthen what we got, and let's just focus on what we got. And you know what, all that other stuff, man, maybe that. And I, I, I didn't realize it, but I, I just drifted. Let's have a good church. God said, Keith, that's sin. I didn't call you to build a good church. I called you to build North Alabama's greatest church. I didn't call you to build a good church. There's a lot of good churches, and we need good churches. If that's what God called somebody to live, they need to build a good church. He said, I didn't call you to build a good church. I called you to build North Alabama's greatest church. 
Lord, the Holly Pond campus, it sure is hard. They're struggling over there. He said, Keith, he said, that was my idea, not your idea. And he reminded me. He took me back to Pittsburgh. I was in a hotel room. I'd been preaching at a conference up there. And I'd been praying. We'd been praying for five years for our next campus. Five years we've been seeking God. We've been looking at Coleman and Albertville and Huntsville. We've been looking for big cities and big launches and big opportunities. And the Lord, in 30 seconds in a hotel room, said, Keith, I want you to plant Dollar Generals, not Walmarts. Every small community deserves a life-giving church. And Holly Pond is your first campus. And in one year, in one year, I came home, told my wife. We prayed about it for three months. She was on board. I told the elders. We prayed about it for two months. They were on board. Told the leaders of our church. We prayed about it for three months. And then we told the church in June of that year. From June till April of the next year on that Easter Sunday, we raised $230,000. We bought a building. We raised a launch team. And we started Liberty Church Holly Pond. And over the last couple of years, as they've really struggled, I've kind of pulled back. Well, Lord, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I missed you. I repented. I'm just telling you, I repented. We're going to plant churches in every small community in North Alabama. I hope you're ready to go. I repent. I've been repenting. I'm just telling you, God has really just checked my heart over the last three weeks. And I've been repenting of all kind of crazy stuff like that. I've been confessing my sin of unbelief. God, I'm sorry that I limited you. I'm sorry that I put you in my box. <laughs> I'm sorry that I defined your work by my capabilities instead of by your sufficiencies. God, I'm sorry that I let my passion wane just a little bit, that I, that I let my zeal for your kingdom pull back just a little bit. I'm sorry, God, that I redirected the vision that you had for our lives. And, Lord, I repent, and I'm confessing it to you guys this morning. We're going we're to live the life God's called us to live. Amen? Amen. We're going to do the things God's called us to do. Is it going to be easy? Probably not. Is it impossible with man? Absolutely. With God, nothing's impossible. How are we going to do it, Pastor Keith? I don't have a clue. But we're going to listen and obey. Amen? We're going to keep repenting and keep believing, keep repenting and keep believing, keep repenting and keep believing until we get to the top of the mountain and we finally look back and see everything that God has done. Until I die and go to heaven, I ain't stopping. How about you? Man, we got a great commission on us, guys. We've got a great commission on our lives. Now, let me tell you why this matters. For all you note takers, we're not going to finish the outline today. Very sorry. Look at that next point. Why does it matter? Let me tell you why it matters. Because the kingdom we align with is the kingdom we operate in. Why does it matter that I repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe? Because the kingdom that we align ourselves with is the kingdom we operate in. In Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul does a beautiful job. He, he, he lays this out so beautifully for us. Look what he says, Romans, Romans chapter 5. I'm not sure what I said. Romans 5. Romans 8 verse 5. I'll get it right in a minute. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, to think like the world thinks. To have values, thoughts, ideas, beliefs, standards according to the world system is death. But to be spiritually minded, to think like God thinks. 
to let God's word and God's standard and God's values and God's truth be the alignment that we get ourselves into brings spirit and it brings life. Life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. I was talking with a gentleman yesterday. He's a part of our church. He was telling me about his mom. His mom has just come to the Lord here recently. And he was telling me how she's seeking God for the first time in her life. And, and several years ago, his sister died of an overdose. And so his mom lost a daughter to an overdose. He said, since that happened, my mom's been literally grieving herself to death. He said, but in the last several months, she turned her heart to the Lord. And for the first time, she's looking to God to be her healer. He said, but in this process, he said, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. He said, she'd already overcome cancer in the past. He said, but now she's diagnosed with cancer again. And now she's fighting physically for her life. He said, but she's turned her heart toward the Lord. And then he said this to me. He said, Pastor Keith, he said, in spite of all that, in spite of, in spite of the grief that she's overcoming now over the loss of her daughter, my sister, and in spite of the cancer that's trying to literally kill her body, this is what he said. He said, my mom is living her best life. <laughs> he said, she's got her heart turned toward the Lord. He said, you know what? She's got joy. She's got peace. She's got contentment. She's excited. She's anticipating. She's looking forward to what God has in store for her. And he said, the world would look at her and see the chaos and brokenness of grief and cancer. He said, but because she turned her heart to God, she's living her best life. Man, that's the power of the kingdom. That's the power of the gospel. See, what you align yourself with is what you operate in. And if you operate in the, in the culture of the world, you're going to find death. But if you operate in the culture of the kingdom, you'll find spirit and life and peace. Because that's who God is. I love what the scripture says. It says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Man, that's a good kingdom. And that's the kingdom God is calling us to. I want to read one last scripture. Stephen, you can come. It's James chapter 4. It's a scripture maybe we don't read enough in church. But I wanted to read it out loud today. James chapter 4, 4, verse 4, and then verse 7 through 10. James says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Let me explain that. <clears throat> when James says that a friend of the world is the enemy of God, he doesn't mean that God has marked you as his enemy. He means that you have marked God as your enemy. See, God's not your enemy. As a matter of fact, he's fighting for you today. In your sin, in your rebellion, in your pride, in your deception, in your brokenness, in your loneliness, God is fighting for you today. And if God was out to get you, you'd be God. Right? If God wanted to take you out, you'd be out. Game over. It's done. Boop. <laughs> but he's not against you. He's for you. So when James calls out these believers, 
that have an adulterous heart. He says you've become a friend of the world and you've made yourself an enemy of God. Why? Because Romans 8, we didn't finish reading it, but that next verse says that to be carnally minded, the carnal mind is the enmity or enemy of God. And it is hostile to God and it will never submit itself to God. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So when I become a friend of the world, when I embrace the world system instead of God's system, when I embrace the culture of the world instead of the kingdom of God, I set myself in hostility against the Lord. I begin to fight God, even though God's fighting for me. And then he goes on. Look at verse 7. He says, so humble, King James says, submit yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you Rec- recognize something real quick here he says he says friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God and then he says so submit to God and look what he doesn't say he doesn't say resist the world he says resist who because he's the prince of the power of this world and he's the spirit of disobedience the Bible says that works in the children who have turned their hearts against the Lord And all of a sudden we recognize something, that the world system is under the sway of the evil one. And when we follow the world and the culture of the world, we are in rebellion against God. And we have to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look at that next verse. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You're an adulterer. you got two lovers. You've abandoned your husband. You're chasing somebody else other than God. You've given your heart away. You've given your zeal away. You've given your passion away. You've given your affection to the world instead of to God who redeemed you and purchased you with His blood. Then he goes on, look what he says. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. I want you to hear this. This is a call of repentance. Brokenness. The Bible says that godly sorrow leads one to repentance. But the sorrow of the world brings death. The difference is this. The sorrow of the world is I'm sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I was speeding and the cop caught me. I really am not sorry that I was speeding because I'm going to speed again tomorrow. But I am sorry that I got a ticket and I got to pay $125. I'm sorry. That's the sorrow of the world. And you know what the sorrow of the world does? It brings death. Because the sorrow of the world just cultivates more sin and more rebellion and more disobedience. But godly sorrow, the Bible says, brings life. It brings repentance, which leads to salvation. Because all of a sudden, with godly sorrow, there's genuine remorse. There's a grieving. The prodigal son understood it. Y'all remember Luke chapter 15? The prodigal son came home to his father. And you know what he said? I have sinned against heaven. And I have sinned against you. He recognized that, and with sorrow, grief of heart, he came before the Lord, and he said, you know what, I've sinned against heaven. He recognized that all sin, number one, is first a sin against God, and then a sin against others, as we use and abuse people. 
And James says, hey, let's be sorrowful. Let's be broken. Let's weep. Let's cry. Let's mourn. And let's turn our hearts back to God. Let's recognize what's going on. Let's recognize what's at stake in our lives and our families and our communities. And let's fight the good fight of faith. Let's refuse to have a divided heart. Let's refuse to be adulterers who love two lovers. And let's give our hearts to Jesus, the bridegroom, and we're the bride. One heart, one love, one life. Live for the one who died for us. Amen. So I want us to bow our heads today. I want our prayer team to go ahead and make their way to the altar. We're going to open the altar in just a minute. If you need prayer, we want to pray with you. But I want to do this this morning. If you're here this morning and you realize, you know what, Pastor Keith? I realize I'm not in the kingdom of God. I've never been born again. I've never entered into his kingdom. I've never really had my eyes open. My heart's never been changed. Maybe, maybe there was some behavior modification. Maybe I prayed a prayer. Maybe I went to church. But I never really gave God my heart. And maybe I'm not as bad as I used to be. But my heart really hadn't changed. But today I want to change. Today I want to come out of the kingdom of darkness. And I want God to translate me into the kingdom of his son Jesus. And I'm going to do just what Jesus said. I'm going to repent. I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to acknowledge that my way is the wrong way. And I'm going to believe the good news of the gospel that Jesus died and rose again. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is a gift that he gives. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. But by faith, we receive it. And if that's you this morning, and you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to be born again. And I want to enter God's kingdom. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want you to stand to your feet right now. Just a simple act of faith. James said, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. If you'll take that first step, I promise you, God will meet you right there. Today I want to be born again. Today I want to enter the kingdom. Just stand to your feet. Just a simple act of faith. Nobody's looking at you, but God is. God's watching your heart this morning. God's watching your life. And he's extended his love to you. God never, never, never brings condemnation. He always brings redemption and salvation. And he says, whosoever will can come. If that's you, just stand to your feet. I'd love to pray with you right now. If you're watching online, this is your opportunity right now. This is your moment just to say, Pastor Keith, I want to be born again. I want to enter the kingdom. This is your moment today. We're going to get ready to pray. I'm going to ask everybody here to pray with me. And if you have never accepted Christ, I want you to pray this prayer. God's speaking to you this morning. This is for you. Let's pray it out loud together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I repent and I believe the gospel and I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me, save me, and bring me into your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.